on your phone for Easter robe New Year sale. Buy two, get one free, no limit. Which is great because everybody needs like two or three in their closet uh, at any given time. Uh, you just mention that promo call code, call in a hurry. We've been celebrating 24 years of Easter robes. It's a... Uh, it's great. So you can, you can make it a cultural event. Uh, and it's true of much of Christianity. It can be a cultural thing. It can be about the form. It can be about how you worship. It can be about the band. Uh, even with other parts of Christianity like baptism. I found this amazing baptismal tank online and an article on how to build one. Like, wouldn't you like to be baptized in that thing? It looks like something out of a science fiction movie where, you know, like they're growing like a clone in there with you or something like that. I don't know what it is, but, uh, but we could make all of this beautiful and we can make it a cultural event and all of that, but it's really not that. Uh, uh, the Easter story comes down to a couple of really important questions that whenever we celebrate it, we have to answer together. Uh, did it really happen? And why does it matter? Did Easter did the resurrection of Jesus Christ happen? And, and does it really matter? And to, to look at that, of course, we first go to the scriptures. We look to the record of, uh, of, of what happened, of what was written down. We're going to look just, uh, spend a little bit of time today in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2. Let me just read this little bit of text. Maybe I'll pray before we read it. Lord, I just ask you would come and meet with us. I ask that as we engage with your scriptures, you would touch our hearts, that there would be something uh, beyond just the cognitive, beyond the intellectual that happens here, that your Holy Spirit would come, you would touch our will, you would touch our emotions, uh, that there would be something uh, real and transactional that happens here with you. We, we embrace the mystical, that when we read your word, we know that something happens. Its power uh, goes out and transforms us and changes us, and that's what we long for this morning, is to be changed by the power of your word. We love you, Jesus. We open ourselves up to whatever you have to say to us this morning in your holy name. Amen. Amen. So let's just read this together. Luke chapter 24, uh, verses 1 and 2. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Uh, so just first little thing is we're making this case for Eastern. Did it really happen? Uh, one of the important arguments for that is the fact that uh, all throughout the Easter story, women are mentioned. Women are the witnesses. This is in a culture and a place and a time when a woman couldn't actually be a witness in a court of law. They were thought to be, and I read a quote about this uh, a couple of years ago, just, just too flighty and too like, unstable to really remember a thing. I don't know, it's just, just the way they were thought about back then. And we know that isn't true, that isn't the case. But in that culture, if you're making a case for something and did it really happen, you would pull the women out of the story because uh, they weren't credible in that space and time. So this is one testament to the reality of the story is that this is true, this is real, this happened, we're going to tell it exactly like it was. And we see the beauty uh, of women all through the, the gospel story. So the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. This was a real deal. They went to Jesus' body. They went with spices prepared. The way they used to do it in that time is they would take the body, they would put it in the tomb, they would cover him over uh, with spices so there wasn't such a smell while literally while the flesh rotted away. And then they would come back a year and sometime later and they would collect the bones, put them in an ostuary, and put them in another place. 
And that's what they were expecting was going to happen to Jesus. Uh, that second part of the case that we're really going to spend most of our time on for the uh, veracity of the resurrection story is this idea um, that the, the disciples themselves were skeptics. They themselves weren't knowing what to expect. Doug described it beautifully uh, during the talk. Like in retrospect, they understood, but while it was happening, it was like, what's going on here? What, what's happening? And so uh, they wrestled with it themselves. So in verse 2, it says this, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And all of Christianity hangs on this fact that they simply did not find the body. There is no body uh, for Jesus found. And if they find the body of Jesus, then, then, then we just wrap it all up. Because Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not just an ideology. It's not uh, some wise words that somebody once wrote down. Christianity is about an event that really happened in history, in space and time. It's something we have to grapple with uh, as people. It's something that really happened. Uh, in Israel, there are two tombs where they think that might have been his tomb. In both cases, they're empty. This is the garden tomb. But over the years, there have been some work done to try to sort of find out that this isn't true, to find out that the story of Jesus isn't real, uh, to, to, to find the body, literally. There's been some work uh, done on that. One of those uh, great stories is in 1990, somewhere around that ballpark, they found a tomb that they call the Talpiot tomb. And that was a, a tomb that uh, had sort of a part of a, uh, an inscription on it that said, Jesus son of, blah, 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 and it was all worn out and they couldn't read it. And so they're like, okay, Jesus, son of, could it be Jesus, son of Joseph? Of course, Jesus' name was not an unfamiliar name in that time. There were so many people named Jesus as their sort of first name in that time and place. So it really could have been anybody's tomb, but, but this idea that they found this inscription made them think, hey, maybe this is it. And sometime in, the, in 2008, they resurfaced the debate and James Cameron, the producer, the guy who made Terminator and all that, yeah, got involved because he's kind of rabidly anti-Christian in his outlook. And it was like, we found it. We found the tomb of Jesus. Uh, we're going to unpack this for you. And they produced a documentary that would have been seen on the Discovery Channel. Um, but what was happening at that same time, when a discovery like that is made, uh, skeptical people... Uh, look at it. They, they investigated and scholars investigated. Everything in the Holy Land is, is poured over and investigated and looked at uh, uh, in a careful way. So in around that time, some almost 20 years, like 15 years after uh, that happened, that, uh, that tomb was found, they were still working on it and processing the data and looking at the science and carbon dating things and all of that. And Princeton University convened a group of people uh, together, 50-some scholars, to just come together and examine the evidence. What was this about? And they called it a symposium. It was a Princeton University symposium on Jewish views of the afterlife and burial practices in the Second Temple Judaism, evaluating the Talpiot tomb in context. So just a nice little, just a, like a cool conference name, like youth conference name, like the Crave Conference or the uh, Fusion Conference, right? Like scholars don't have like cool conference names at all. 
um, but they did this great big conference. And so what happened is at that time, James Cameron and a couple of other media people that were invested in this story sort of came and said, hey, they're resurfacing the idea that, uh, that Jesus was, was in this tomb and, we, and then we found the body. And uh, the conference released this statement sometime after the whole media kerfuffle. And some of you may even remember that. It was in CNN and everything else. I actually remember when that happened in 2008. And, a, and this is the statement released by uh, the, the Princeton University. Incidentally, a very liberal uh, school, right? Very liberal scholars. They said this. said, the media, Cameron Tabor and Jacob Oki, or however you say that, um, Following the symposium gave almost the exact opposite impression of the symposium's results. As is abundantly clear from the statements to the contrary that have been issued since the symposium by many of its participants, such representations are patently false and blatantly misrepresent the scholarly content of the deliberations. This is not the tomb of Jesus. We did not find the body. These are scholars from Princeton, 50 scholars from all over the world who gathered in Israel to examine this information, examine the data. They did not find the body. And it's okay to approach the gospel from a skeptical point of view. It's okay to approach the story, like wanting to know the science, wanting to know if it's true, wanting to know if it's real. I am a skeptic by nature myself. Um, I, uh, Anna knows full well uh, what it's like. We had, we had these people, I've told this story before, we had some people come knocking at our door in St. Stephen, New Brunswick, came knocking at our door, and they, and they pled with Anna and, and said, hey, could we please have a teddy bear? There's a house that burned down. Even any kind of little toys for these, these children, uh, they don't have anything. It's, it's all burnt down. Do you have anything to donate? And Anna, whose heart is just naturally touched and naturally responds in grace and compassion to this thing, goes running upstairs looking for Jack's toys to give away. And I'm like, what's going on? How do you know they're collecting toys for, for a child that's had a fire? I, I didn't hear about any fire. <laughs> Like, I'm such a jerk. I'm such a jerk. Like, like I had to know. Like, show me the details. Where's some ashes or something? Like, why give away a teddy bear? It, it, I'm a skeptic by nature, and, and I've been like that for a long time. Even when I had encounters with Jesus uh, in, in high school and, and getting to know him and, and, and understanding faith, I, I needed to wrestle with uh, not only is this an experience that's real for me, not only is this something that happened uh, for me in terms of my getting to know Jesus, but uh, does this make sense rationally? Does this make sense uh, logically? And so uh, I've read a lot on this. Uh, Jesus and the eyewitnesses, an incredible more recent look at, at the eyewitness testimony of people who uh, who experienced the gospel. The gospels are all full of Paul and, and Peter and the apostles all saying, or rather Paul's letters are all full of people saying, go talk to this person, go talk to that person, go connect with them and, and, and let them tell you this story because they're all people who experience together. But I spent my geeky high school days actually right here in this building. This is where I went to high school. The library was up there at the time and I would go in a study carol and I would read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Uh, I I would read uh, Know Why You Believe by Paul Little. I read 
portions of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, Hindu literature. I read the Quran. I read uh, Greek philosophy. I read uh, sections of the Book of Mormon. I read sections of the Talmud, uh, Brit- or, uh, uh, Jewish writings. Because I, I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. And in my understanding, my passion to understand and investigate, I kept coming back to the same truth that this thing that happened, this story of Jesus just makes sense. It's real. Something tangible. Something actually happened here. So it's okay to approach the Gospels with skepticism. And if you approach the Gospels with skepticism, you're in good company. You have friends among Jesus' disciples because they were skeptics too. Let's just unpack a little bit of the story, uh, some of what we read. Uh, We read verse 1 and 2, now on to verse 3. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus while they were perplexed about this and on it tells a little bit more but that was their response they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus they didn't immediately sing Hosanna Hosanna you know they didn't start a worship service they didn't start Easter let's go get some lilies and some choir robes let's do this thing right that's not where they were at they were perplexed like what's going on They had questions to ask. They wanted to see that it was real. Uh, Going on, like jumping ahead to verse 10 and 11. Now, uh, they've already heard from the angels. The people who were there in that space and time are convinced. But now they come back to other apostles to tell the story. And that's Mary Magdalene and Johanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women who were with them. They told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them, uh, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. These are people who were walking with Jesus, who saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, uh, who saw the miracles that he did, saw him heal the sick and give sight to the blind. And still when people that they knew and trusted came to them and said, um, hey, he's not there, he's, he's risen, we've seen angels. And they're like, you guys are crazy. You guys are crazy. They didn't believe it. The story goes on. Uh, looking ahead to Luke chapter 24, 36 and 42. They're gathered now a little bit later up in the upper room. Uh, maybe that same upper room, maybe a different place, but they're gathered in a place. It says in the John account, John chapter 20, that as they were gathered up there, they'd locked the doors because they had fear of the uh, of officials, of, of temple officials or Roman officials coming after them. Because like, when, a, when a Messiah figure died and it was proven no good anymore, this, this, this guy's dead, then they would come and just get the rest of them and, and round them up and deal with them so they could put out this sort of uh, rebellion. So they were scared of the, of the leaders. And uh, in verse 36 to 42, it says, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be to you. So these people had tangible experiences with the person of Jesus after his death. This is the real deal, the real story of the resurrection. They encountered someone. They encountered something real. So Jesus says, peace to you, says the guy who just beamed into a locked room. Right? Like, what was that like? They're in a locked room and all of a sudden Jesus, like, shows up there. Was this like Star Trek? Like, was there that... 
sound and the bright lights. I don't know what had happened. I don't know how it worked. But he, he beamed into the room. He came in there and he starts talking to them. They were startled and frightened. Yeah, of course they were. Like, this is crazy. And they said this. They said um, they thought he was a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And we see uh, later the same story of, of Tom's like, put your hand in my side. Like, like, is this real? Like, verify it. Check it out. Get your hands on. Like, like this is the real deal. This is not like uh, a force ghost from Star Wars. This is, this is not like Yoda. I know we've got Star Trek and Star Wars in the same sermon, and it's totally wrong. But, uh, but this is not the same deal. This is not like glowy deal. This is like, touch me, like grab my hand. Check it out, I'm real. Now, incidentally, for, from my perspective, this would have been a brilliant, brilliant time for Jesus to say, oh, by the way, there's no such thing as ghosts. But he says, no, no, ghosts, ghosts aren't like me. Like I'm scratching my head, like what's going on here, Jesus? Like, like, like ghosts aren't like you? No, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like solid, not like ghosts. Uh, okay, Jesus, we're just going to leave that one. We're going to park that and chalk that one up to the mystery. Um, but he's like, verify this, touch me, see that I'm real, see that I'm real. And and somewhere after all of that, all of the people in that room, thousands of others came to the place where they were willing to die for this. And that's the real evidence. They had a real experience with him. People don't die for a lie. Right? Peter died crucified upside down. That's how Peter's life ended. These guys were under enormous pressure to recant. Take it back. It, say it isn't true. Say you made it up. Say it was a lie. Uh, make up some other excuse, some other story. Say anything and we won't kill you. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them were killed in bizarre and creative and torturous, painful ways for something that really happened. People don't die like that for something that they just made up. Something real happened. And not only uh, under the persecution and under the torture, but just the way they lived. Like they continued to radically live like Jesus lived. They lived the way he lived. They, they gave their money. They gave up their land. They, they went all over the world. They did missions. They, they just gave their lives for this with, with zero fear because something real had happened. And that's the evidence for the resurrection is the radical growth of the church. The radical way in which they lived. Um, you know, as a good skeptic, you examine the historical context. There were other Messiah figures in that space and in that time. Dozens of them uh, who, who wrote things and said things. And, and there are one of two things that always happened when a Messiah figure died. One, they went and found another Messiah figure and they replaced him. Or two, they just went home. They just packed it up and gave it in. They went home. But in this case, the disciples of Jesus were following him decades and years. And now, hundreds of years afterwards, we're still following this person who was supposed to have died. We claim an interactive relationship with him. And that reality confronts us. He is still alive. He is real. 
There are other alternative stories that you could believe, but they, they just don't hold any water. There's the gardener theory. Uh, the gardener didn't finish his sentence theory, is what we call it. And they came to the garden and they talked to the gardener, and the gardener just said, all of a sudden, he said, oh, he's not here, and they got all freaked out, and they ran away looking uh, to tell the other disciples what had gone on, but they didn't hear the gardener finish his sentence. Oh, he he's, he's, isn't here, he, he's over here. But they just cut him off and didn't hear that. That's, that's one of the theories that's out there. There's actually a book written on this theory, right? Uh, alternate theories, there, there's more, Jesus didn't really die. He, he was just in the tomb. He was in, the co- in there uh, having a coma for a while, and he woke up. Uh, but you know what? Resurrection isn't a man cold. I mean, raising yourself from the dead isn't like getting up after a man cold. Uh, being crucified by Romans isn't like having a man cold, right? Like, like if the Romans knew how to do anything at all, they knew how to kill people. Right, they literally stripped the flesh off his back with a whip. They laid him bare. He carried his cross. They drove nails through his hands. They hung him on a cross. And then to make sure after he was dead that he was really dead, they took a spear and they jammed it up into his side in an intentional move uh, to pierce the pericardium, the sac around his heart. Because they knew that, that they died from asphyxiation, from hanging like this and not being able to breathe. And when they pierced that sack, water flowed up because there was a, an accumulation of, of water that was part of the proof to them that he was really dead. And they pierced him deep enough that they also pierced his heart and blood flowed. They, they, they'd penetrated real flesh. They'd penetrated art an artery it was arterial bleeding and it says in the scriptures and blood and water flowed the spear did its work proving that jesus died uh he didn't just have a man cold and get up like from his coma in the tomb a few days later he was really dead uh, we explore uh, all kinds of different conspiracy theories. Uh, we have a way of like looking at things like that we don't want to believe. We get excited about conspiracy theories. Uh, we know people, there are conspiracy theories about the moon landing. There are conspiracy theories about Kennedy. There are conspiracy theories about Elvis being still alive. There are conspiracy theories about the Twin Towers uh, falling down. All kinds of, we gravitate to that kind of stuff. We're interested in, we love it. But the thing with conspiracy theories is they're simply not possible because there's always too many witnesses to keep the secret. There were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that witnessed the resurrection of Jesus and not one of them cracked and said, no, no, we didn't really see what we saw. They all believed it. It really happened. That's the evidence. So you need to know if you know skeptics, if you are a skeptic, if you've been living your life like this is a fairy tale, this is no fairy tale. This is the real deal. If we examine the story as skeptics, we, we must come to the conclusion that there is strong historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This really happened. It's the only plausible explanation uh, for what happened, for the empty tomb and such a radically committed community that lived after he died. A rational person, if you're a rational person, if you're a skeptic here and if you know skeptics, if you call them to examine the evidence, they can 
with reason and rationality engaged come to a place of knowing that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the grave. Uh, there's other reasons we wrestle with it. Uh, psychological reasons uh, why we wrestle to accept the resurrection of Jesus. Death is just pretty real to us as people, isn't it? It's pretty real. We've experienced death. I remember uh, being up in, uh, in Saskatchewan, uh, northern Saskatchewan. Ann and I were pastoring in our first year. Some of you have heard me tell this story, but uh, we were up there, and I got called to go and attend this funeral uh, with these Cree people, beautiful Cree people, and, and a family member of someone in my church had passed away, and I was asked to go and, and be at the funeral. And, and there was such a palpable sense of grief in the room there was and it was such a bizarre sort of mix of catholicism and native religion but it was a real sense of grief there were war drums beating and and catholic priests doing sweet grass and smudging and and i remember going there and i'm like okay every, some of these people are lining up to view the body i'm going to go line up and view the body and the way they do it there is they would have the 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 body there lined up with an open casket funeral and the family stood behind the casket to receive the comfort and receive uh, the encouragement from people and to just just to to have that moment like right literally over the body of their loved one and i got in this line to view the body and uh and and i could see as I got closer and closer, that what, what are people doing? Like something's happening. They're bending over. What's going on? I'm in this lineup. I don't know who this person is. And I realized like partway through, they're kissing him goodbye. And I got in the line. I, and I can't get out of the line. You know, like how with Tim Hortons, they have that, you know, I love, it's my favorite Tim Hortons is where they have like the escape chute. Right? You know that? Where you can realize you get in the line, the line's too long, but if you go forward a few cars, there's like a break in the curb, and you like, can get out of there. I really wanted the escape chute. I did not want to kiss this guy that I'd never met before. Like, not only was he a dead guy, but he was an unsanitary dead guy. Like, 200 people had kissed him before me, and no one was cleaning him off with a wipe or anything. Right? Like, like he was dead. Like, it was cold, dead, real deal dead. And I kissed him. Because they were watching me. Like, real deal. I came home to Anna after that, give me a kiss, baby. She's like, I don't know what's going on, but there's got to be a waiting period. Like, you know, like, it's not going to happen, right? So, uh, you know, it's real. It's something pretty tangible for us. Uh, the resurrection sometimes just seems too good to be true. Doesn't it? It sometimes just seems just too good to be true. And that was the case for the uh, disciples as well. Matthew 24, uh, verse 41, it said, while they still disbelieved for joy. Now, isn't that an interesting phrase? What does that mean? What it means is that they were so joyful. They'd come to the point, Jesus is in the room. He'd materialized in the room. They're all hanging out there. He's like, touch me. Like, touch my hand. Like, I'm real. It's a real deal. The flesh is warm. I'm really alive. And said so they were still disbelieving for joy. It's like, I am so happy right now. I, I'm so excited right now. This, is, this just can't be real. This is amazing. This is amazing. I, I can't imagine that this much happiness could be in life. But it's the real deal. They were disbelieving for joy. And I, I remember experiencing that around the death of, uh, of my grandfather. I remember when my grandfather passed away, 
uh, in Saskatoon. And, and, you know, these things are, as, as younger people, it's, it's a challenge to sort of wrestle those things down. I remember uh, sort of my parents saying, you know, you don't necessarily have to go in and view Grandpa's body. This was at the viewing before the funeral, but, uh, but Grandma would be blessed if you did. I'm like, okay, let's go. Let's go bless Grandma. And I remember going in to uh, see Grandpa Bob's uh, uh, body with, with Grandma, and we're in there looking at the body. And, and you know, it's sort of a sort of a supernatural kind of disconnected like this is so weird I'm like looking at a body of someone I loved and they're not really there and I know they're not there but I'm gonna see this body and grandma is there with me she's like apologizing as we go she's like they messed up the makeup like he looks kind of like Uncle Harold because <laughs> because Uncle Harold of course was my grandpa's brother and and she's like I know we got to get it fixed before the funeral tomorrow before Auntie Flossie sees it and if Auntie Flossie sees Uncle Harold in the in the coffin she's gonna have a heart attack and we're gonna have double funerals on our on our hands right like it's so practical it's so real but I remember uh, in that moment really connecting with part of what the resurrection means you know grandma went off to go talk to the funeral director and say listen we're gonna have to make a little adjustment on grandpa's makeup here um and she goes off to do that and I get this quiet moment you know looking at my grandfather's body uh wrestling with this sort of having this resurrection idea in the back of my head that, that we're actually literally resurrected and I remember uh just connecting with man this is really real I I really really want this to be real I really, really want to see my grandpa again. I really want to see him again. And I remember sometime after the funeral uh, when we were sort of going through grandpa's things and people were uh, sort of dividing things up and and talking about mementos and all that. I remember my grandmother uh, passed me my grandfather's Bible. That's a picture of it there. I just keep it in my my drawer uh, on my dresser. Uh, It's his name, Bob Summick. and he, he, he had just worn that Bible out, just praying for us and praying for us, uh, reading the scriptures every morning, just a very, very faithful believer. And, and Grandma handed me this Bible and, and just said, yeah, this is, uh, this is your grandfather's. You're, you're going to be a leader. You're going to be a pastor. It was sort of what, what her thinking was, you, you need to have this thing. And I remember uh, having this Bible and saying, I, thinking in my heart, you know, I don't really just want this Bible. I want my grandpa back. And I just remember in that moment just having this realization that the book that I was holding in my hand was telling me that I was going to get my grandpa back. That's what the resurrection means. Everything sad that has happened to you, if you accept the gift of what Jesus has done for you, everything sad that has happened will be undone. Christ indeed has been released, raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's the first meaning of the resurrection. Everything sad that's happened for those of you who receive this gift will be undone. That's something to celebrate. It means that the cross was real, that the work that was accomplished on the cross, uh, Jesus' forgiveness of your sins, the payment for your sins, it means that that actually happened, that that actually worked. The sign of the resurrection of Jesus was a sign to everybody that this work that had been accomplished, that God had validated it by the miracle of raising Jesus 
from the dead. It says this in Romans chapter 4, 25. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. We often look at salvation as something that is just being at the cross. Like we're forgiven from our sins, we're set free. Uh, what Paul always taught about the, the work of Jesus is that the cross paid for our sins. It unlocked the jail. It unlocked the doors of the jail. It, 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 it set us free. It meant that we're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer uh, tied down to having to pay for our own sins. But it's the resurrection that empowers us to walk free out from that cell and walk empowered lives of serving God. The, the death of Christ on the cross sets us free from sin. The resurrection, his resurrection to life, justifies us and set us free. That's what it means. And so often we, we preach the gospel, maybe even in the West, in, in a bit of an off-centered, off-balance way, because we preach the cross and we sort of say, the resurrection is a little add-on, but that's not what it was like in the early church. In the early church, they preached the resurrected Jesus. They preached that Jesus has resurrected. It didn't make any sense to just preach that Jesus died on the cross without, without the resurrection as a piece of it because everybody knew somebody who had died on a cross. The Romans killed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Every town in the Roman Empire, the cross was used as a, as a way of punishment and as a way of torture. Uh, what it says in the scriptures, we preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach the risen Jesus Christ, and by the way, he died for your sins. So they preach that first, that idea, hey, this dude rose from the grave. And not only that, his death had incredible meaning. That wasn't just a, a non-event. That death set you free from your sins. This real guy who rose from the grave also died for your sins. That's how the gospel was preached in the early church. Uh, the, the cross has done its work. The cross has done its work. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ also means this. It means that we don't fear death. We don't fear death. I am going to die. I may go out there and I may get hit by a bus. There's no buses running today and we don't have buses in Carlton Place. That doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I could go. I really could. I could choose to spend my life doing something God calls me to do that's incredibly risky. And I could do that because I know that my death will last only a short period of time because I will be raised to life when the trumpet sounds. Life is ahead of us. Resurrection is ahead of us. The scriptures talk about glorified bodies. We've talked about that before. I need a glorified body. I'm going to lose some poundage, I'm pretty sure, in the resurrection. I'm going to have a six-pack, I know. It's going to be fantastic. I do have a six-pack now, it's just hidden. I just have it covered up a little bit. Right? Like, like, real deal. There's a life for us. There's a life for us. Uh, just looking back really quickly, Matthew uh, 24. I know this is going long, but blame uh, communion. Uh, Matthew 24, uh, verse 41 to 43. And while they still disbelieved for joy, remember that this is too good to be true, and they were marveling, 
they're marveling, right? They're like, this is incredible. We're in the room with this guy who died. He's still alive. And he just asked them this simple question, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and he ate with them. I think more than anything, that is how Jesus wants to prove to you his resurrection. He wants a relationship with you. He wants your life to be a meal with him. That's fish. He wants your life to be a meal with him. We upgraded to burgers. It's good. He wants your life to be an interaction with him. Something tangible. Something intimate. Your life with Jesus is meant to be a life of sharing a meal with somebody that you love. That's what Christianity is about. It's about a relationship with someone you love. The last thing that the resurrection means for us, I think, is that we have a decision to make. As people, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes everything. It changes everything. It takes away our fear of death. It means we can live free in radically generous ways with our lives. And so the question for us is simply this, uh, confronted with the reality of what happened, that you can believe rationally, that you can believe as a scientist, that you can believe as a skeptical person, confronted by the reality of the resurrection. Will you reorient your life around this relationship? It's a significant reorientation to begin to live like the disciples did because they knew that death was broken and Jesus walked the earth. Let's stand. Now, for everyone in this room, uh, the idea that a decision needs to be made means something maybe a little bit different. For some of you here, you might be like, I have just lived as Christianity is this cultural thing. I've lived as though it's, it's just a, a one or two Sundays a year and we get dressed up and go to church kind of deal. If Jesus really rose from the grave, uh, he's calling you to a decision to live as though something radical has happened. He's causing you to live differently. For some of you, uh, there may be specific things that you've been afraid of living your life generously in. He may be calling you to live in a new kind of uh, practical, spiritual, emotional, relational generosity. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and speak to us about those things. Whatever it is, but will we reorient our lives and marvel at this incredible thing that has happened? 
Will we marvel at this incredible thing? And you can't look to your culture. You can't look to people around you. I remember sitting in a room uh, with uh, people in our old house on Mississippi Road, and we were barbecuing out in the back, and my philosophy of barbecuing is put the stuff in there, close the lid, and let it torch really good for a while in full heat. And I remember we're having a conversation. We're drinking a couple of beers, and we're, we're just chilling out with, maybe it was Craig and Amber. I don't know who was over. And, uh, and Jack, I don't know if you'll remember this, Jack, but Jack pipes up. There's a lot of smoke. And we're just chilling. We're, we're talking. And Jack like, is a little louder. No, Dad, there's really a lot of smoke. <laughs> and then finally he's like, Dad, there's a lot of smoke. And I finally like wake up from this relationship thing. And I look outside. And I realize that it's just starting like to literally melt the siding off the side of the house. And we're like a second away from the thing bursting into flames. Our culture is not going to be the one saying to you, there's a lot of smoke, there's something real here. Your friends are not going to stand with you and say, "Um, hey, you should really pay attention to this church thing. They're not going to say that. Hear my voice as you hear little Jack's voice. Dude, there's a lot of smoke! Like there's something real, there's an urgency to us living in joy and living in a new way because of what happened. There's a real deal here. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you confront us each individually, person by person, heart by heart, with the reality of that event that happened 2,000 years ago? Would you destroy in us anything that lets us compartmentalize Christianity into a little room off to the side that we can go into from time to time when we want to? This is a world-changing deal, and would you put a passion in our hearts about it? Would you let it be catalytic? Would you let it... Uh, cause us to make decisions in our lives, to do things a different way. For anyone here in this room who, who has, has just been a skeptic and not believed and, and now believes, would you give them the courage to take a step in relationship with you, to reorient their lives around you, to learn about you, to marvel at you, to get to know you? Give them the courage to talk to a friend. Holy Spirit, come and change us today, we pray. We celebrate you. If you're here this morning and you've made a decision, you've you've, uh, made a change in your life, you've got to come talk to me or talk to a friend who's brought you. Uh, Just connect. Just connect. Just connect. Doug, did you have a thought? Okay. He's looking like he's wandering up. Oh, okay, okay, okay. About the chairs? Okay. Yeah. A little business on the side. You've got to connect. If you're here and you need prayer, just come up and get prayer. If you know God's calling you to something radical and new and different, you've got to just make the choice and do it. All because he loves you. He died for you. He rose for you because he loves you.
Let me proclaim it one more time and you can proclaim it with me. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. God bless you.